I'm Mike. I'm Grant. Grant, I'm having some trouble getting this box open. Hang on, where did I put... Aha! Use this. Should pry the lid off just fine. Where did you get that sword? Uh, stone in the courtyard. It's been there ages. Never mind that, though. It's time to start. Of course, Your Majesty. It's the MacGuffin Factory. Well, welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Factory, guys. This is actually episode five, and we're going to be talking about some pretty... Let's say it, generic. Pretty generic. Or, or not even generic. Well used. That's a better way. I, I will go with well used. I don't want to say generic, because I've looked over what we've written down here, and I don't think they're generic, though I will say well used does fit. Yeah, I guarantee you. Okay, for our listeners, we're talking about swords tonight. And I guarantee you something so fundamentally part of the fantasy and even science fiction genre and historical genres, if we say something, there's probably a book out there that's got that exact thing. We're very sorry. We promise we didn't read it except for the ones we did. (laughs) Except for the ones we blatantly stole. Yes. No. No, we can't. We can't say that. No. Accidentally borrowed? And this goes to our our thing here, because eventually, when you're talking about MacGuffins, the things that drive story, the things that people are chasing after, the the places people need to be, like, there's only so many stories you can tell, so there there will be overlap. Well, at at a fundamental level, you're right. You know, there are all these different lists of, like, the X different types of stories, you know, the fundamental stories, so on and so forth. It's the Joseph Campbell argument, Hero with a Thousand Faces. You know, hey, there are like 37 different plot archetypes, you know, or the seven types of stories, so on and so forth. It's a thing that's been bandied about in literary circles for, you know, centuries. But basically, when we're talking about something like this, we're trying to approach it in as unique a way as possible. But the fact that somebody else has done this sort of thing does not mean that your story is not unique. It's just, you know, hey, it's the same MacGuffin, but it's not the same. It's not used the same way. It's not the same plot device, because even though it's superficially similar, the characters involved are different, and the story you're telling is different. Right, uh, and and you can see, even when you're talking about reviews of things, like, one of the, the biggest hits recently, movie-wise, from the good people at Pixar was Inside Out. And if you really look at Inside Out, I can talk to you about a couple different things. In television, you've got Herman's Head. In movies, you've got Osmosis Jones. You've got a list of other stories that did that, but everyone's talking about Inside Out because they still did it really well. Yeah, exactly. Now, we should, for a minute, talk to our new listeners about what you're about to hear. So, The MacGuffin Factory is all about MacGuffins and plot devices and storytelling in whatever form you're interested in. We kind of come up with interesting things that appear in stories and wrap stories around them. Like we said, we're doing swords this week. Now, if you're a new listener or a returning listener, we want to remind you, if you hear something that gets you thinking, stop what you're doing. If you're driving, you know, or operating heavy machinery or in a meeting with your boss, you know, stop it safely, pause the podcast, and follow that train of thought. Don't think that you're going to remember it later. We're here to help inspire you, so if you get inspired, don't let that moment of inspiration pass. We are the sort of people who have notebooks by the bed at night, so when we come up with the random thing, we have something to write it down, because 
I know I speak for myself and for Grant when I say we've both lost ideas before just to forgetting things. Yes, we thought we had lost ideas like before this episode simply because we lost I was half, half of a document. You know? I, I was I was panicking because I had spent like an hour prepping all my little stories like I do. And about 15 minutes before we start ready to record, I couldn't find it. And I was really worried. <laughs> yeah. So write it down. That's what we're saying. Uh, and you know what? If you like the show, plug us on iTunes, share us around, give us reviews. Uh, word of mouth, of course, is the best way to get the word out about us. It helps a lot. And if you're floating around the internet and you're dealing with somebody who, for some reason, doesn't like iTunes, doesn't like, you know, various podcatchers and just wants to be able to find one place to find it all, inroadsministries.com, I-N-N, roadsministries.com. We have all of them there at the click of a button. And a lot more. So, before we get into talking about MacGuffins, I want to real quick touch on three symbolic elements of swords that you're going to see repeated over and over here. Swords are generally a symbol of authority. Temporal authority. And that authority stems from a power over life and death, right? The the sword, you know, it's a weapon. You choose when to wield it, when not to wield it. And so that's the symbolism inherent in it. And likewise, related to that, it's a symbol of violence, but not any type of violence. It's what I would call professional violence. A sword is really only good at killing other people. It's not especially good for hunting in most cases. It's not really good at defending yourself from, you know, wild animals. Yes, you can use it for that sort of thing, but it's not the preferred choice. It's really only used in war or duels or fights with other people versus other weapons. One one thing that uh, when when I looked over the notes that you had put in for this, I, I think there's <laughs> one comic that hit me almost immediately and it was it's just like a couple frames and it's the kind of thing that you'll get seen shared on facebook and all that uh it was basically the old man who gives link the master sword yep and it says you know it's dangerous to go uh go alone take this but it's and it's a little bit of dialogue that the the creator of this comic just threw in there and it's like oh is this going to protect me from the danger he goes no no, this is actually going to throw you into a life of danger. I'm actually sorry for what I'm doing to you right now. Yeah, I've seen that. It's good. And hopefully hopefully when I put this up, I'll find that link to that comic. Hopefully I can get to the original source, but whether or not I can, I want to get that comic out there because it's beautifully done. Yeah. Didn't we say write it down? We did. And write we're proving that fact over and over again. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our MacGuffins, shall we? Absolutely. All right. I'm going to start us off. So the first one I've got is a knight's sword that's stolen by his squire. So if if you, generally speaking, you have to have a sword. Remember I was talking about kind of that professional violence. Possessing a sword means, hey, I'm a person who does violence for money. Or I have earned the right to this. So you have a squire who steals his knight's sword and attempts to pass himself off as a poor knight. Now, you can tweak the details of this for any setting. Um... You know, it does not necessarily need to be medieval Western Europe. It could very easily be anything else up to the point where swords stop being relevant. I mean, it could be a lightsaber. Doesn't matter. Um, the uh, the plot that I figured kind of would come from this is the squire getting put into a command position because it is assumed that he knows war and leadership. After all, he's got a sword. Clearly, he's a knight. 
Now, whether that is, you know, oh, his hubris means he fails and gets others killed, or he steps up to the situation and it turns out he really kind of deserves the sword, maybe he goes up against that knight, whatever you want to do with it, right? But that's the the situation, and the fact that he possesses the sword is what puts him in these positions. But ultimately, it's not really a story about the sword, it's a story about somebody pretending that they're not, pretending to be something they're not. I, I know it's a little early to bust into our blueprints, but uh, I, I immediately, when you started saying that, thought about uh, A Knight's Tale, the movie. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's fantastic, but the whole plot line is is that this lesser knight that no one cares about dies in the middle of the tournament and they only get paid if they if they win and mm-hmm. so his squires basically go well crap we haven't eaten in like a week so one of them actually puts on the armor grabs the grabs all the gear and actually goes into the tournament gets destroyed but ends up you know, at least placing so they get paid. And that leads to a whole story of him actually faking being a knight and doing all these tournaments. And it's the whole plot of the movie. So I'm not going to talk anymore about that. Okay, cool. What's your first one? My first one is basically the story of a, you know, your typical magic weapon story, the magic weapon that is in the hand of the king and leads the king to great victory builds basically an empire, unifies the nation under his rule, under the power that this weapon gave him. But as the the old king, you know, is about ready to the end of his life, and you can probably do it a couple different ways. Maybe he doesn't have any heirs, or maybe he has, you know, spoiled, rotten, twisted heirs, and he doesn't believe that any of them have the responsibility to hold that weapon. But it's the idea that he breaks the weapon into different parts, uh, I usually just say three just because that sounds like the kind of number that you do that to a weapon. Uh, break it into three parts and spread those parts to different uh, corners of the kingdom. And uh, the the quest at that point becomes not only to get all three pieces, but then to reforge them and to make the blade again. Yeah. You know, another way you could handle that is to say that those three pieces have been used in different swords, you know. The blades in one sword, the hilts in another sword, the pommels in a third. And at that point, maybe it's not so much taking the pieces and reforging that sword as it is getting these three uh, sword holders of the sword to cooperate. Yeah. Right? Make it a little more symbolic. Definitely. All right, Grant, what's your next one? Yeah. Speaking of royal swords, remember I was talking about swords as a symbol of authority. Real simple one here. The royal sword... Hey, turns out it's a fake. Okay. Shoot. Now what? Uh, You can scale this down to a very intimate story where, you know, a servant is working and discovers that his master's sword is a fake. What happened to it? You know, maybe he's old. Did Did the master sell it? Did somebody steal it? That sort of thing. You could have the royal sword have gone missing at some point, and you have to find the original, but you can't do it publicly, right? You got to send people out secretly looking for it or, you know, the authority of the king is immediately called into question. Plus, at the same time, not only do you have to locate it, but you have to solve the mystery of where it went and who replaced it and why. Uh, Or again, of course, it's broken and it has to be secretly reforged so that nobody loses faith in the king or the kingdom. 
And and if you really wanted to go back, you could make this on an epic kind of scale and say that this this is the blade that was handed down to me from so and so, who was handed down from so and so, and then you have to piece together the history of well, think of who was it that, that basically ended the line where where the sword ended up going in a different place and or was stolen or whatever, you know, at what point did that happen? Because, you know, family members have been handing this down forever and all of them were under the impression that it was still the original one. Right. My next one, uh, I, I like the idea of, you know, magic weapons that their sole purpose, like you said, their sole purpose is for professional violence. And so they have a purpose. And if, if that purpose is fulfilled, what happens to them? So I had this idea for kind of an, an epic blacksmith, a forge master or something like that. A person who created the weapon that ended the tyranny of some great evil, some spirit or a dragon or, or something truly epic that you need a magic weapon in order to put down. Now, generations go by, and because the evil was put down, people forget, and people just no longer worry about how to make those weapons, because those weapons no longer have a purpose. The The evil is gone. But then there's some form of, depending on what kind of evil you're looking at, has a resurgence. Uh, maybe a new ruler comes from another land, a dragon appears out of nowhere, you know, somebody unearths some awful artifact and suddenly it's back in the world, but nobody remembers where the weapons are or how to make new ones. And so you suddenly find yourself in this desperate quest to find somebody who remembers how to do this. You know what I'd like to do with that story is set it in the modern day. Oh, yeah. Because not only is it, oh, we have to, you know, find the one person who can make this weapon but it's also who uses swords anymore seriously does that (laughs) you know so and the guy who is the chosen one or whatever is not a master swordsmith he's i don't know maybe a marine or former marine somebody who maybe has some basic weapons training but is generally well suited to modern warfare and all of a sudden he's being told nope you got to use this sword and you got to you know only look at the thing in this mirrored shield and make sure to throw salt over your shoulder before you enter the cave. You know, all this weird mystic nonsense as far as he's, he's as far as he knows. But, you know, so you have this, this clash of eras happening at the same time as this clash between protagonist and, you know, whatever monster you've chosen. Right. Seems like it could be a lot of fun doing it that way. I mean, it could certainly be a more standard fantasy or even sci-fi kind of thing. I mean, there's no, it could it doesn't necessarily have to be a sword per se. It could be a particular kind of weapon. Doesn't matter. Well, with the prevalence of Star Wars and the amazing power of the lightsaber, I'm pretty confident we can put this wherever we want. That's true. And Star Wars is not the only uh, space opera I have read involving energy swords. As it shouldn't be. Yeah. They should be everywhere. Well... <laughs> Moving we'll on. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 talk about more swords. Specifically, uh, a sword which possesses a magical ability to indicate who should sit on the throne of the kingdom. And which has just chosen the apparent antagonist of the story so far. Nice. So... I think we're all familiar with the the sword in the stone. Look, the sword indicates who is supposed to be 
in charge. Uh, Welsh mythology has a flaming sword that chooses whether or not you're worthy to hold it, and if you're not, it burns you. Otherwise, you know, it's a flaming sword, and it's awesome. Uh, that that sort of thing. We're all familiar with the, look, the chosen one has the, the magic sword, right? But what happens if that sword says, yeah, yeah, uh, here's the person who's supposed to wield me and is supposed to sit on the throne, and it's somebody everybody hates and who pro- doesn't seem at all suited. What does the sword know that we don't? Is it being tricked? Is is there something else going on? What's up, right? Maybe that person isn't actually the antagonist, but is merely a, an unsympathetic character who, over the course of the st- story, will re- be revealed as more than that broken, ugly, awful person they seem to be. Maybe she's actually the chosen one, and the perspective character who you're getting this story from is unreliable. Right? Maybe that's the, the villain or the scheming vizier or, you know, whatever the trope is. Or maybe, you know, the person who's chosen is using other magics to trick the sword and that creates that same conflict of authority where in order to get the wrong person off the throne, you have to cast in into doubt the entire process. Yeah, I I always love the idea of, of somehow tricking magic. That, that that as a concept, is always entertaining to me. Sure. But in this case, if you then say, look, the magic that we've used for centuries to choose our kings can be tricked, well, that throws the whole line of succession into question, the whole process. I mean, it's a big blow to the authority of the state at that point. Right. So, the, you know, do you do it, and who do you demonstrate it to? Do you suffer this person to sit on the throne? just to keep the integrity of the process intact, what do you do? So, yeah, you even have the, the makings of a whole political story at that point, too. Oh, it's it's extremely political, and that's the fun of it. All, All right. right, what's your next one? I think I'm going in the opposite direction of political oh, of intrigue. I, I couldn't help it. Uh, I... In, in all honesty, I, I took my inspiration for this one from old Power Rangers shows. Uh, I remember when when I was, you know, I was I was right on the the borderline age wise of when Power Rangers were awesome rather than cheesy, and so one thing that I always thought was also riding the line between awesome and cheesy was the fact that the Green Ranger used a knife that was also some kind of flute to summon his Megazord, and you know, I didn't want anything that. Kind of awful. You know, I really wish this was the first time today I'd heard the word Megazord. <laughs> Just like laser swords, they should be everywhere. <laughs> Again, I must disagree. <laughs> well, I, I had this idea of uh, this uber mech that is just kind of dormant. And people just, it's almost like they build a city around it. I always loved those old stories where this big piece of gear just stopped moving and it was so large that you couldn't break it down or get rid of it. So it just kind of sits there. I'm getting some Miyazaki style animation in my head. In my head. That's exactly what it looks like. Okay. And so people just live around this thing, but no one knows how to turn it on. They've found like old documents and everything that shows illustrations of a sword being put into the console but they've tried to make things that look like what's in the documents, but nothing works. 
And so the idea is, is that whoever ends up finding this thing and actually putting it in will suddenly be able to control this hulking behemoth that's lying dormant for so long. Right. And it's best, of course, if the person who does so is from that city. So when he wakes it up, because he has to, he's literally shaking apart the city he grew up in. Right. And and you also set up the potential, just like with uh, the last one we did, the potential for the wrong guy to get it. I love the idea of what happens when the villain gets it. And whether it's for power or just the fa- or revenge or whatever, literally wants to destroy the city and get a super powerful weapon at his disposal as a bonus. Yeah, I like it. All right, Grant, what's your next one? This is kind of a, a Marshall take, or it could be a Marshall take on the, the Prince and the Pauper, believe it or not. Trained swordsman and professional soldier who loses her sword and is demoted to the ranks of the peasant levies, you know, where there's spears and bills and pikes and that sort of thing, the kind of things that peasants can go, throw together and use without any professional training. You could very easily have it so that somebody who looks like this swordsman, this soldier, takes the sword and... You know, she's actually just a peasant, but she gets promoted to that leadership role or, you know, the, the that higher social category while the actual soldier or uh, lady is down being forced to slum it because nobody will believe her and she can't prove it without that sword. Yeah, I mean, that ties directly into the aspect of authority. And yep. and it is kind of intriguing just the the idea that literally your identity is wrapped up in a piece of steel yeah and i think it also gives you the opportunity to kind of do the how the other half lives thing oh yeah Uh, because professional soldiers tend to have fewer ties to other places right they're they're told go here do this thing you know do violence for money every day may be your last that sort of thing right um but you know, if the, one of those people is suddenly with others who have just kind of been drafted and have all these other ties to other things, and the cost of going to war for them seems so much higher, maybe it really isn't, but it seems so much higher because they don't know any other way. They don't know this way of, you know, just living with death, you know, kind of maybe the next long march away. Um, You know, it, it can be a very eye-opening experience. Yeah, definitely. Something to explore at any rate. Your next one. I had this idea of, because we've spent so much time talking about the nature of swords and what they mean and their value, uh, I had this idea of a weapon that's kind of just been floating around. It, it's never really spoken of highly. It's not like regarded. It doesn't have a name or anything like that, but it just keeps making its way into the hands of, of new soldiers, new knights, just keep it. It just keeps going mm-hmm. until, and I always, because this is the nature of this kind of storytelling, I almost imagine like a squire or somebody like utterly insignificant picks it up with the idea of giving it to somebody else or defending somebody else or for that, that key moment where a guy who shouldn't hold this thing suddenly does. And in that moment, like, like runes appear on the blade or a voice is in his head. Like something changes in this 
otherwise completely nondescript blade. And suddenly this random person or seemingly random person is chosen to be like the one who reforges this long dead order of, of knights who were, you know, defended the realm. Right. I, I have a confession for you. I've played in a superhero game where that was at a very fundamental level, the premise of the story. Nice. Uh, um, it was actually probably my favorite character ever. Uh, Newton, Newton Rosenthal. He, he, he was very, very dumb and very, very large. And his idea of go of a secret identity was not using his last name. Um, <laughs> but Newton actually ended up being appropriate because he was, you know, he could grow super big and basically had gravity powers. But um, and but basically, he ended up stealing because he was a petty thief a hammer that turned out to belong to his ancestors, and he was the last of this line of ancient kings and so on and so forth, and all of their power flowed down into him, and he went, cool, I'm going to call you Smashy, and (laughs) kept going. And so it was basically the sword going, no, look, this is not how kings behave. You need to do this. Be a noble uh, gentleman. And and him going, "Uh, I'm going to go work for supervillains because I'm kind of dumb and am easily bossed around. Nice. This was a necessary evil campaign. That's fantastic. It he was my favorite character by far. He actually had a, a element of sweetness to him. He was actually very well thought out, in my opinion. Um, I don't want to get into too much of a gaming story with him, but I've definitely done the we've found the one, he, the nobody who will become somebody. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it was I, a lot of fun. I love the I love the re- the reluctant hero, the one who's like, dude, I I never asked for this. <laughs> Yeah, and this was not only reluctant, but entirely incompetent. Right. So, yeah. Worked out well. Yeah. All right, let me uh, let me get in my last couple here. This is kind of a hook for a generic two swords, you know, hero dude kind of story. Come on, just, just say the name. It's Dritzed. No. <laughs> no, it is not. It's a little... It, it's probably worse than that. Like, this is bad, pulpy, generic off-the-rack fantasy, right? Uh, You have a guy who has a sword which can't hurt the living, only the risen dead. Now, this can be a a hook for your generic two-swords dude who's got one sword that hurts the living, one sword that hurts the dead, you know, something like that. It's much more interesting, however, if the guy who's wielding this sword, which can't hurt the living, can't use any other sword for whatever reason. Maybe he's not allowed. Maybe uh, the sword doesn't work if he holds a sword that hurts the living, something like that. And so he has to resolve all of his other problems with other people without resorting to violence, or at least not resorting to bloodshed. Maybe he can whack someone on the side of the head if he absolutely has to, but he's not going to kill anybody. He's not going to permanently solve his problems by hitting them unless those problems are ghosts. I've seen variations on this concept happen where uh, guy, a lot of times it's in the context of somebody is a really amazing with their sword, but some tragedy happened, so they refuse to draw it. But it beca- mm. it became such a part of who they are, they can't let it go either. So they just right. never draw it. So that they fight with the blade always in the scabbard. Sure, and and I there's you could go that way. I like the idea of making it giving him something to do but in a sense the you know the supernatural thing that he's fighting against 
is an A plot and the human problems are a B plot. Right. And he can't use the same thing to solve both problems. Yeah. Yeah. And my last one is, well, okay, picture this. You've got an idyllic kingdom, right? It's peaceful to the point where weapons have been forgotten. What happens when the magic sword of the ancient kings is rediscovered? The way I picture this going down is kind of like a a philosophical, magic realism kind of story. Uh, You could certainly do it in a much more realistic tone, but that's that somewhat symbolic element is what I'm after here of, hey, we've rediscovered the ancient ways and we are going to throw over the current good, the things that we have right now in favor of nostalgia for these mythical glory days that we imagine and tell stories about. In a sense, this is a story not so much about a sword as about nostalgia, which the sword represents. And you could very easily bring this whole idyllic kingdom down to, you know, burning around itself, fighting over this magic sword and, you know, who who's going to possess it and who's going to be a king, discarding all the good that the kingdom has achieved without it. Sounds good. That's what I got. All right, let's talk about blueprints. There are a all lot of them. Of them. <laughs> well, yeah, it turns out, guys, when we talk about books and movies and other media which exemplify swords... There's a lot of those. <laughs> we have a <laughs> Who lot. Who would have thought? And I'm pretty sure if we wanted to really, really make this like an hour-long episode, we could probably list some more. Yeah, probably. But let's start with some classics. The Song of Roland and the Arthurian Saga, also known as the Matter of France and the Matter of Britain. The Song of Roland, of course, has famous swords like uh, Cortana and Durandal and Joyeuse. The Arthurian Saga has Excalibur and, in some versions, Clarent. Uh, Clarent being the Sword of Peace, or the Traitor's Sword, because that's the one that Mordred steals and kills Arthur with in one particular telling of the saga. The Wheel of Time, which I'm going to go ahead and talk about as awesome. Uh, If you have not read it, yes, it's big. Don't worry, it's good. Book 3 in particular is all about a quest for a sword, and a fight over a sword. Now, is it Useful as a sword, no, yada, 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 but it's sword-shaped and it's good enough. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, sadly, I have not picked up the Wheel of Time yet. It's really just a matter of I haven't had the time. Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. The Audible ebook version, or the Audible audiobook versions are excellent. Huh. And one of the themes of the Wheel of Time is the dualism of male and female, kind of both at a fundamental universal level but also in everyday life you know men and women have very different perspectives on things approach things in different ways that's reflected in everything from the storytelling to the magic system and that sort of thing and um there are two narrators for the wheel of time in in this audible version there's a male narrator who does the male scenes and a female narrator who does the female scenes and both are excellent but it helps you keep the story straight and it gives a different uh, it, it makes it very easy to keep those two perspectives in your mind and switch between them. Nice. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, another classic that we need to talk about, The Lord of the Rings. Narsil, in particular, the sword that is broken and is forged again, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, we're, we're all, I think, familiar I don't, with that I don't one. think we have to describe that one. No, not particularly. Talking about authority, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. If you have not seen this, and it's possible that some of our younger listeners have not, because 
Mike, we're getting old. Yeah. Uh, sad. Go see it. It's a very good movie. Chow Yun-Fat does a great job in it. And it is... the it, There is a sword that is a MacGuffin. That is seriously what how the movie goes. They're fighting over a sword that indicates whether or not they're good at being martial artists. It's that simple, but the story wrapped around it is great. It is a great example of here is a sword that is absolutely just a MacGuffin. It could be anything. Yep. Mike? All right. I came up with one that is from a series that a lot of people are going to know about. And for me, I've kind of fallen away from it. I started out an intense, like, mega fan of it, but I've just kind of fallen away. But early on the in Game of Thrones, it is very clearly established that each of the major houses has a great sword, which is the symbol of their house. And... House Stark, for instance, has ice. And they could go on for days, as Martin often does, about varying aspects of things. And Valyrian steel and the power of it and the, the amazing quality of these swords. But not only that, they actually... One scene that really stuck to me was that once in the, the first books, once House Stark was basically taken down, they melted down ice and made it two smaller swords. And like just that aspect of it really ma- it made me want to mention it here because that really becomes like a thing. It's like a symbol of what just happened that that this great house has fallen and the the sword no longer exists. Right. No, that's good. Uh another one, this one from a movie. Uh I couldn't not talk about Kill Bill. Well, of course, because a good portion of the beginning of that whole dual movie epic uh, was finding a Hattori Hanzo sword. And it you know the sword is important because whenever they talk about it, they can't just call it a sword. They can't just call it a good sword. It's always a Hattori Hanzo sword. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically fighting over the sword in, you know, dramatic and flashy ways yeah and even even the creation is like this artistic like deep zen moment as he's making this blade for her so yeah i yeah you have to and then absolutely one more for me and uh this kind of goes in the whole i found a sword and suddenly i'm a superhero the dresden files there is a starting with book two yes the dresden files has a a series of characters there's a handful of them uh, and the the weapons they carry are swords forged out of the nails from Christ's cross. They are the Knights of the Cross. Their weapons are the Sword of the Cross. And basically, if you have this, the whole concept is you are descended from great kings. And you are... It's basically the paladins of the Dresden Files universe. You are there. The one description I saw of the the Knights of the Cross are they were considered the fist of God. They were the the ones that basically mete out justice to evil. So, yeah, everything revolves around those swords and those people. Like I said, their identity is wrapped up in those swords. So they have to be mentioned. And the last one I wanted to touch on, getting back to some of the story hooks I was talking about where swords are broken and need to be reforged, or a sword has been broken up and parts replaced, that sort of thing. Terry Pratchett's The Fifth Elephant. This is a later story in the Discworld novels. 
So if this is the first time reading Discworld, this might not actually be the best one to start with. Um, start a little earlier, perhaps. But ultimately, this is a story about... Uh, well, it's about a lot of things, as most Discworld novels are, because they're marvelous social satire, but ultimately it's about the symbolism of authority. And it gets into a lot of the same things we talked about here. Uh, very explicitly gets into those specific details. So, strongly recommended. It's a very good book in its own right. Uh, and if you have not read the Discworld series, now is a good time to start. Yeah. Basically because you just heard about it, and there's no reason to not read it. Discworld is fantastic. It's so good. All right. That one went long, but it turns out there's a lot of swords to talk about. It's basically a a huge pile of options. So I think we did pretty well considering. All things considered, I think you are correct. All right. Well, from everybody here at Inroads Ministries and the MacGuffin Factory, have a good one. Take it easy. And we will see you next time. The MacGuffin Factory is produced by Inroads Ministries under a Creative Commons share-alike, non-commercial license. Find more MacGuffin Factory episodes and other great podcasts and articles on the web at inroadsministries.com. Our intro and outro music is Wyvern by Ray Rude, used under license and available at freemusicarchive.org. Find more of Ray Rude's music at needledrop.co. And remember, no matter the setting, no matter the medium, We all tell our stories together, so make them worth the telling.